Hello, fellow kids, and welcome to episode 51 of Hello, Fellow Kids. We're on 51 already? Yeah. That's a lot. That's so many. That's like as many as... You know, I don't even care about the bit anymore. Let's continue. <laughs> it's too many. We're done. Goodbye. This is the end of the podcast. Burr, burr, burr. <laughs> burr, burr, burr. <laughs> I'm like, wow. <laughs> People look at their Spotify like... Is there something wrong with Spotify? This says it's less than a minute. <laughs> I wouldn't do that. I would still make the episode a full hour and just put 58 drops minutes of you silence. Into, uh, so we got into a fight. and <laughs> Guys, uh, she quit the podcast for realsies this time. For, for realsies. I would not do that mid-episode. It would depend on what you did. I don't think you could do anything that would make me quit mid-episode. Or, I mean, Please don't. Yeah. I think we're Test at the point me. where I would I would have to do something that is like against character. the character of who I am. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I, it just I just got a text message. It's from you going quit the podcast. <laughs> hey, yeah, it's from my what? brother. He sent me a YouTube link. <laughs> what is it? Well, now I want to know. It's like, is this in response to Feed letting the cat. the cat out of the poop room? <laughs> Dipshit. He sent a two-second video of Flanders from The Simpsons going, Oakley dokely do <laughs> So he'll be letting the cat out of the poop room then. Uh, okay. So stupid. Okay. Huh, and that's the last bit of laughter you're going to get for this episode. Yeah, this is a, okay, yeah, for, uh, people who like spoilers for what the tone of a whole episode's gonna be, this isn't gonna be fun. This and month, this is, uh, about slavery, so, yeah. This month we read Chains by Lori Halls Anderson, and, uh, yeah, it's, it's basically 300 pages of awful things happening to a poor girl. Yeah. Like, just pretty, pretty close to nonstop. And, um, this was another one where I was looking at the reviews to see like, okay, well this got, this has pretty high reviews. Mm-hmm. Let's see what's going on here. And I went looking, scrolling through and scrolling through and every user picture was pretty white. And I started thinking, uh, oh, the, the one, the one like black profile that I saw in the, uh, my phone wouldn't let me scroll past more than like 20 or 30, but the only black one was like a one star that was like, black pain is not for white people to make money off of or something along those lines. And obviously we're both white. I saw that one. Um, mm-hmm. And also, you know, one person isn't necessarily a definitive statement of an entire group. But while I was reading it, I was kind of like, I'm not sure how I feel about some of this perspective just based on, you know, the writer. Um, And th- there were a few times where I was like, I feel like they want us to be more sympathetic towards the slave owners than we really should be. Yeah. Uh, I don't know about sympathetic, but I feel like they were... I don't know. There's like a line I have in my notes that I don't want to spoil for. Sure. But I feel like... I feel like... I don't know how intentional this was, but she really freaking nailed white people. Like, I was just <laughs> like, yeah, yeah, that sounds right. You know, like when this kid is jerked around, this poor, this poor kid is jerked around so much. And she's like, so I don't know if, no, trusting is not right. Naive and like, oh, they said this is going to help me. So it's going to help me. And I'm like, huh, no. Like the whole time I was like, there's no way they're going to help you. And they don't. Yeah. Yeah. Spoilers. They don't help her. She helps herself. Like, and I was just like, yeah, this. I don't know about her accurately portraying slave life or if that was her place to do so. But, yeah, the white people, she nailed. <laughs> and I, I just kind of had my head in my hands through the whole thing. Just like, God, I really regret, uh, regret suggesting reading this book. <laughs> yeah. But I was looking at it like, oh, it takes place during around like the Revolutionary War. And like, this is the July episode. And then I just end up just giving us like a huge bummer for the fourth of july (laughs) yeah so like i wouldn't call it a bad book but it i did not enjoy the book Um, no i didn't think it was bad either i don't know i just kind of 
part of it was not enjoying it just because it was a huge bummer of a book. Um, and part of it is because it's part of an era and a region that, in terms of, like, historical fiction, I've never found super interesting. Same. Yeah. I was like, I've never really been into this. Like, I was like, a, wow, I'm still not. A lot, a lot, a lot of, uh, like, YA historical fiction authors have, like, a huge hard-on for the revolutionary era, and I am just so not interested. Did anyone ever try to make you read Johnny Tremaine? Oh, thank God, no. Okay, that takes place during the Revolutionary, right? Yeah, it does. Yeah, it wasn't Civil War. It's They have huge boners for Civil War or Revolutionary yeah. War. And I also kind of have an ick around this time period because a certain segment of our population, like, fetishizes it practically. So I see 1776 and kind of flinch, Yeah, you know? And that's not fair. That's with, like the founding of our, you know, of our country. We that shouldn't induce a flinch, but it does. Yeah. Yeah. Be- yeah, because it's kind of been co-opted to mean. Yeah. Yeah, it's become a dog whistle. So you're just like, oh shit. All right. Okay. Um, I guess content warning: abuse of a twelve-year-old girl throughout because it's about slavery and it's miserable. So like, I wouldn't blame you for not wanting to listen to that. Um, I'll say this for the book, it never wrote the N-word. That is very true. Uh, I was, I was and, glad for um, that. And then I was like, were they using that then? I didn't know if that was like an 1800s thing. I don't know, but I don't, I'm not gonna like, I don't have a way to Google that that yeah. I'm comfortable with I'm doing. I'm not gonna so Google I'm that. Just, <laughs> no! <laughs> I'm not Fair. gonna, like, that answer may never exist in my life and I'm okay with that. I'm like 110% don't give a shit like i don't I don't need to know like what is the etymology of this word and like it's an ugly mean word that me and you don't need to be saying and laurie hall sanderson doesn't need to be writing it and she and she didn't, didn't write it so i was like <laughs> good i don't want to see it i don't want to think it in my head it's just ugh. anyway so um now that we've given content warnings and uh warned that this is not going to be one of our more lighthearted episodes should we get going let's just yeah let's just let's just knock it out all right. So um, our story begins at a funeral for an elderly woman. Our uh, protagonist, Isabel, attends with her little sister, Ruth, and the pastor and the deceased's nephew, Mr. Robert. Isabel and her sister are enslaved people, and this is the 18th century. But hey, the old lady had put in her will that upon her death, Isabel and Ruth would be free. Isabel's a little afraid of what comes next. Both of her parents are gone, so she'll be the one responsible for providing a home for Ruth, who has some sort of mental disability. They never describe what it is, but she does get, like, seizures and stuff. They also probably Um, didn't have a word for it back then. No, of course not. Uh, They they were still bleeding people at this point. (laughs) They were still bleeding people in the book. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Anyway, did I mention it's the 18th century? Because when Isabel asks the adults about what comes next, Mr. Robert says that there was no will, and he's selling Isabel and her sister, and this is allowed to happen. The old woman's lawyer is somewhere in Boston and unreachable because when I said 18th century, it's literally 1776. And so uh, the colonies are gearing up for war. So it's a very unsettled time. Uh, Mr. Robert takes the girls to a local inn, expecting to have an impromptu slave auction on their front porch. The proprietor and his wife, Jenny, refuse. This is Rhode Island, sir. Advertise in the paper if you want to sell humans. Uh, Jenny is sympathetic to Isabel and Ruth. She herself was an indentured servant who had been good friends with the girl's mother. She feeds the girls in the kitchen while Mr. Robert finds a loathsome couple, the Locktons. Uh, Jenny tries to offer for the girls, but the Locktons can pay more so off they sail to new york the only upside isabel can see to this is maybe she can find the lawyer somehow so she can confirm that she and her sister are free so they arrive in new york and mr lockton's possessions are searched he's a suspected loyalist to the british crown because of course he is a man named bellingham comes out with a clerk and a slave boy to interrogate and search the property mrs lockton sits on her trunk and announces that she won't have soldiers rooting through her undergarments yet she can shout it out in public for some reason. It's a ridiculous display, and the only one who laughs is Ruth. Mrs. Lockton flies into a rage and slaps Isabel when she takes responsibility for the laughter. Um, The Locktons are permitted to leave with the trunk, unsearched, proving that Karens always get their way. 
Mrs. Lockton decides she wants tea and orders Isabel to get water at the tea pump. Isabel's been here like five minutes, ma'am. Why would she know where that is? The boy with Bellingham named Curzon offers to take Isabel and she struggles to keep up with his fast city pace. Once he slows down for her, he tries to get her to spy for the rebels and report on Mr. Lockton's loyalist dealings, but she refuses. She just got here and all she care- really cares about is Ruth. Isabel arrives at the Lockton house with her heavy water buckets and is greeted by a servant named Becky. She fills Isabel in on what to expect while serving the Locktons. It amounts to always keeping busy and that this is a loyalist household, which makes the servants loyalists as well. Um, each chapter begins with a like an et- excerpt from it. Sometimes it's an article. Sometimes it's a it's a letter or something like that from the era. There was a letter written by Patrick Marobert, M apostrophe Robert. So I drew a little like a little guy tipping a fedora next to that. Oh, no, Marobert. Uh, and all the uh, chapter numbers are Roman numerals, and I know them up to a point. So I was like, uh oh. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, uh oh. Okay, so fifty is the L, right? Yeah. When when do you start to lose confidence? Right then, as soon as we leave the 30s, and yeah. then we can get to 40. And I'm like, uh, um... Yeah, chapter I extra know, large. Chapter extra large. <laughs> I will say that um, slaves getting promised, like, oh yeah, you'll totally be free once mm-hmm. I die. Mm-hmm. That almost never happened, because, like, whoever inherited was just like, no, they're staying here. Yeah, cause, And everyone like, will be like, okay. The person who said that isn't going to be around to, like, enforce that. Well, a lot of times they just, like, oh, they'll understand. They'll know. Or they maybe, like, felt like a big person by doing it, but then never actually wrote it in their will. Right. Or the, yeah, or the inheritor sees that and goes like, oh, screw that. I'm not doing that. And no one would enforce it. Like, no, you have to, you have to set these people free. She promised. She she pinky swore. So, um, that that, that happened a lot. That reminds me of, there's that pact that a bunch of, like, millionaires and billionaires have made to like donate a x amount of their money when they die and it's at, at first it sounds like oh that's so charitable of them but it's like they're dead they won't need any of the money anyways you know be really charitable using it while you're around you don't need right. it anyways because you're set yeah all of it's just like extra yeah it's just you just want a high score you want to be on the leaderboard right you want to be on the leaderboard but think about it, you could be on the leaderboard for charity. Huh? Ah, huh? And ah. you're like, that's not the same thing. <laughs> yeah. Freaking Elon Musk staring at us. Charity? 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 That is not a word. And you're like, shut up, Elon Musk. <laughs> Neither Which is I your child's first think. name. <laughs> <laughs> your child's first name is a UPC code, sir. <laughs> you're embarrassing. <laughs> um... Oh, yeah, and then there's... I'm glad she brought up indentured servitude because mm-hmm. certain people, like, equating that to slavery, they're like, it was white slavery. No, you served, like, seven years and then you got to leave. It's basically the military. You're <laughs> signing up for a set amount of time that you work for somebody, and then you get to go. You got to go. Slavery, you're in for life. And you didn't sign up for it. You just were born yeah. or were captured. Isabel and Ruth's parents are very recently captured. So they're like for the second generation um slavery. Mm-hmm. I think the dad was from Guinea and the mother was from the Caribbean. Mm-hmm. And uh their family got split up at an auction. <sighs> it's just such a gross history and it needs to be acknowledged cuz I think it's just it just gets wiped away as like oh so long ago in the grand scheme of things no it really wasn't that long ago. Yeah. If if you're going back like generations and stuff, you really don't have to add on that many greats to get into the slave era. No, and uh, this whole book takes place like in the north, and I think a lot of people like to conveniently forget that slavery was in the north for quite a long time. Yeah, I looked up a thing to show like when each state and territories like started changing their opinions of slavery and it, it, it was still very hit or miss all through the north for a good while it wasn't like a it was not as clear a line as people want it to to be but yeah while i was reading that this uh, there were a lot of spots when it was talking about 
buying and selling slaves and things like that, where, like, just the idea of putting certain words next to human beings is just so inherently uncomfortable. Yeah. And I wanted to look for myself to see the exact year. So uh, we all know America, when we stopped doing that, we had a whole war about it. And um, I know there's certain English people who like to pat themselves on the back and be like, oh, well, we got rid of it sooner. Bitch, you got rid of it in 1833. It's not that great. That a time. If you like, never took part in the. Yeah, that's that's nothing. And uh, it's I'm glad you abolished it. Maybe you shouldn't have had it in the first place. I think you guys were the ones who set up the trade in the first place. Actually, they did because we weren't a country yet. We were just their colony. Ugh. Yeah. And that was, that was, uh, kind of the reaction I had. There, there are a few times in here when I said, um, the idea of being like sympathetic to people, there are a few characters in here where they will act more respectful and more nicely to like Isabel and stuff. And I just have this feeling of like, yeah, but you know what would be better? <laughs> Cause it's like, I'm not going to give you, I'm not going to give you props for treating a human being like a human being. Like, I'm sorry that we got to have a bar a little higher than that. Oh, God, the bar was, like, at the bottom of the ocean. Like, <laughs> <laughs> I think those are the few things I wanted to cover. Address right off the bat, yeah. Yeah. Okay. So, life goes on at the Lockton house. Mrs. Lockton takes a liking to Ruth and dresses her up like a little doll, keeping her by her side at all times. This dehumanization of her sister infuriates Isabel, but Becky warns her to keep her temper. Mrs. Lockwood has a habit of badly beating slaves. One day, Mr. Lockton's rich relative comes for a visit. Uh, her name's Lady Seymour. And Mrs. Lockton presents Ruth and Isabel to her. Ruth's been crying, and Isabel can only speculate what happened. Lady Seymour asks what Isabel's name is, and when she answers that it's Isabel Finch, Mrs. Lockton renames her Sal Lockton. Barth. Isabel waits on Mr. Lockton and his buddies, and they're all loyalist dirtbags. Mr. Lockton brings out his wife's trunk, and underneath all the undies is stacks of cash to bribe men into joining their side. Late that night, Isabel sneaks out of the house to find Curzon. Enslaved people aren't allowed to be out of doors at night without a pass, so she has to keep to the shadows and double back when streets are full of soldiers. She finally reaches Curzon's shed behind Bellingham's house and tells him what she saw, thinking this will buy her freedom and that she and Ruth will be on a boat for Rhode Island in the morning. Oh, honey, no. Uh, the next morning, Bellingham and his boys show up, ostensibly to strip the windows of their lead counterweights to be uh, made into, like, bullets or whatever. But then they find the trunk and they they dig through it. Lockton has already moved the money, though, but there's enough suspicion against him for him to be arrested and questioned. So they march him off. Becky sends Isabel to get Lady Seymour so she can deal with Mrs. Lockton. Lady Seymour feeds Isabel cookies and milk while uh, Isabel tells her all that's gone down and how Mrs. Lockton wants to flee to their plantation in Charleston. Lady Seymour is like, ugh, but arranges for a lawyer to get her stupid nephew out of the clink. Mr. Lockton's out in the morning and he fights badly with his wife for trying to flee. Uh, Mrs. Lockton blames her injuries, her resulting injuries on Isabel spilling wax on the floor and making her fall. And Isabel is forced to apologize. So Isabel keeps waiting on Lockton and his buddies since they have no idea she was the informant. Uh, one of the men had gotten spooked and skipped town when Lockton was arrested, so everyone thinks that his loose lips sunk their ships. Uh, one night, he does. Uh, Mr. Lockton doesn't want to be disturbed, but his wife forces Isabel into the room anyway. We're all like, what's this bitch's problem? But Mrs. Lockton wants in the room because her husband's hosting the mayor. Mr. Lockton agrees to Isabel, bringing them refreshments while she's standing there. They discuss a plot to take down George Washington, uh, and they already have a guy on the inside. Uh, Mr. Lockton gets nervous since he, like, just got out of jail, so he makes all the conspirators sign a piece of paper so that if he suddenly goes down, he's taking them all with him. This could be juicy news to pass on to Curzon. Isabel feigns sleepiness, and Lockton has to yell at her for more wine. He doesn't suspect a thing. Uh, Isabel can't pat herself on the back for too long, though. While she's retrieving another bottle for the king's bootlickers, there's a blood-curdling scream in the kitchen. Huh. Yeah, so it was during this section where I made a, a note to myself that I have always been kind of disinterested in revolutionary America. Mm -hmm. And it's hard because this book is primarily 
like there's there's kind of the there's kind of the two the two segments of the story there is Isabel's very personal story as an enslaved person and dealing with all of that stuff uh, kind of within the home for the most part um and then there's all the stuff that's happening around town as the revolution uh you know heats up and stuff and so one half of it is supremely boring to me which is the revolutionary part and then the other half is supremely saddening and so there wasn't like there wasn't an escape for me because i was like i either don't care or i care and i'm sad yeah (sighs) yeah madam lockton is very much a like i would like to speak with your general yeah (laughs) (laughs) like i want my tea like we weren't able to ship it tea every like the shipment came into boston and they dumped it in the harbor well i want tea like well, I don't know. Drink the harbor then, bitch. There's nothing I can do. <laughs> uh, yeah, she's pretty foul. And she's not even like, I kind of want to say over the top foul. I don't think she is. I think this is just right at the top, you know. Like high end of believability, but still in there. Yeah, because it wasn't like that horrible woman in Louisiana who was like cutting open her slaves and like doing gross experimental nasty thing. I don't remember this woman's name and she doesn't deserve to have her name remembered because she's disgusting. But like, yeah, Mrs. Lockton, like I'm not saying she's not a good person, but like she wasn't like this cartoonishly bad person. Like you could feasibly like see aspects of like a normal person in her. She's like believably terrible. Yeah. Like, this would be the person at the grocery store berating the employee behind the counter for them being sold out of something. It's believable, uh, without being like over the top cartoonish. And, um, I was kind of worried that Lori Hulse Anderson would do the thing of like, there's good white people and there's bad white people where it's just more like everyone's just kind of selfish. Everyone cares about their thing. Yeah. And I think she more like accurately. Pre- so that's what I meant when I said she really nailed white people. Yeah. Where it's like, I disagree with this thing. I'm not going to do anything to try and stop it. But, you know, I'm just putting on a record that I disagree with it. And you're just like, oh, okay, gold star for you. <laughs> All right. Are we ready for the next section? Sure. Wow, we're really flying through this. Okay. Okay. Um, the screaming is Mrs. Lockton. Ruth is having a seizure, which in the olden times meant you were evil. Mrs. Lockton wants Ruth out now, and Mr. Lockton tells her she's little and that it's fine. It's fine. Isabel knows their days are numbered in this household, so she steals. I thought it said steak. I'm like, no, I'm positive that she did not get any steak in this book. (laughs) Okay, so she steals Mr. Lockton's conspirator list and sneaks out to find Colonel Reagan, who works with Bellingham. It takes time to get past the gatekeepers, but Reagan hears her out list confirms the conspiracy they've heard rumors about and he promises to do everything in his power i put those in quotes to free isabel and ruth which means it ain't happening but this poor kid needs hope yeah reagan tells her that if she has anything else to share come on over the password is ad astra nerds <laughs> that sunday the Brit- <laughs> oh yeah i roast everybody uh that sunday the british fleet show up in new york harbor and lots of folks take off dreading an invasion Shortly after, the plot to kill Washington is revealed, and everyone's rounded up and arrested, except Mr. Lockton, who skips town in a box labeled cheese. <laughs> I don't know why I found that so funny. Because <laughs> it's stupid. That's why. Um, Mrs. Lockton protested him going, and he backhanded her into the shelf. A cheese label on the box is short for dick cheese. When the soldiers showed up to get him, all they found was the ash of Mr. Lockton's papers because his wife burned them all for him. Um, the plot came out because uh, Thomas Hickey, one of Washington's lifeguards, flapped his gums. And then I, I wrote, don't trust men with secrets, which is true. Yeah. Uh, during World War II, uh, they were using, like, um, in England, they, they were using their Boy Scouts as little spies. They had to stop doing that. And they used girl guides instead because they could keep their mouths shut. <laughs> it's like, hell yeah. Well, because I don't know. It's always like some weird guy. Like you always catch a guy who did murder because he's like in a bar like, oh, I killed three guys. And then they come up and arrest him. He's like, oh, shit, how'd you figure it out? It's like, <laughs> you're an idiot. That's why. <laughs> it was a joke. <laughs> it was, You know, that joke you make. You're like, I murdered three people with a pipe. You know, here's where I buried them. And then I put some bodies there to like make the joke work. Huh? Get it? 
<laughs> yeah, <laughs> you have the right to remain silent. Oh, man. <laughs> okay, back to this book. <laughs> so, um, Isabel and Ruth attend Hickey's Hanging. They meet Curzon there, and he lifts Ruth up so she can see. And when Isabel asks for a timeline concerning them leaving the Lockton household, he doesn't have an answer. And the hanging is awful, so let's move on. Uh, July 4th comes along, and we all know about the Declaration of Independence, so let's keep moving. Uh, Isabel watches a crowd of men topple a statue of King George, and she walks off with a piece of lead in her pocket. I didn't know that they'd done that, so I was like, oh, okay, that's kind of funny. I yeah. like that. Uh, when she gets home, Mrs. Lockton has baked gingerbread and made sweet milk for the girls. Wisely, Isabel is suspicious, but Becky said that Mrs. Lockton had tea that afternoon with the reverend's wife, which always makes her more charitable until she gets bored with being a decent person. <laughs> so against her better judgment. <laughs> well, because it, it just reminds me of like New Year's resolutions. Yeah, totally. Um, so against her better judgment, Isabel consumes everything and is suspiciously tired right after. Uh-oh. This is actually, I think, the second children's book I've read with a hanging in it. There's one in Catherine called Birdie, and it's uh, just, it's portrayed the same way as this, where, like, she shows up to see it. It's like, oh, I've never seen a hanging before, and then been, been like, this is horrible. I hate this. Well, yeah, why did I think I wanted to see a hanging? I don't know, because, like, they didn't have TV. Yeah, I guess that's true. I mean, I probably would have gone to one once, and then I, pr- I think I would have had the same reaction. It was just like, I, ugh. Covered your brother's eyes? Like this. <laughs> and he slaps my hand away, like, don't touch me. Um, I looked up, because uh, Ruth is playing Cratch Cradle with a string, which I assumed to be Cat's Cradle, and then I, I looked up the, like, etymology of that. So, Cratch is an old term for a cattle feed rack, which would be similar to a manger. So there's the idea that Cratch Cradle is a reference to, like, baby Jesus in, in the manger. And then over time, that got corrupted into Cat's Cradle, because Cat is a more commonly used word. There's no definitive proof that that's how it happened, but that's one theory of the origin of the term. So I learned that. I just figured she was garbling her speech as a child. I thought that that's what, as well. So I, so. I was just like... It, I, I, I didn't care enough to go look it up. I also like that she was watch, washing the rocks. Um, yeah, that was that's the thing that kids do. Yeah, and then Isabel's like, we don't wash them. And uh, Ruth is like, but they're dirty. And Isabel's like, well, that's true. Can't argue You're that. not wrong. <laughs> you got me there. They are dirty. <laughs> and I thought that milk sounded gross. Like, yeah. let's put all this sweet stuff in milk. Cause I don't like drinking the, like, the milk and cereal that, uh, the sugary cereal's been oh, in. It, yeah. I just like, Ugh. and once I'm, okay, I like chocolate milk. So one time I bought strawberry milk. I'm like, oh, I like strawberries. I like milk. And I liked, or I didn't, I mean, milk's okay. But I, I liked chocolate milk. So I was like, that must mean I like flavored milk. And I drank a sip of the strawberry milk. I was like, I immediately wanted to vomit. It was so gross. So I wouldn't have wanted this nasty drink. I don't think I've ever had strawberry milk. I which should surprise it. you zero percent. No, you are not an adventurous taster. Um, should we move on? Yeah, yeah, go ahead. All right. So Isabel was drugged, to the surprise of none of us reading this. When she wakes, she can't find Ruth. Becky has to tell her that Mrs. Lockton sold Ruth to a physician's family in Nevis. I didn't know where that was, but it's uh, in the Caribbean. Is it Nevis or Nevis? I don't know. I Well, have you heard how many times matter. I've mispronounced words on this? Like, you're allowed a couple. Okay. <laughs> cool. <laughs> so um, Isabel hears this and panics, imagining her baby sister trying to cut down sugarcane. But Becky says, no, she's not going to put her in the fields. She'd be a house slave. Oh, yeah, that's so much better. You sold a small <laughs> child away from her only family. Isabel confronts Mrs. Lockton and gets a framed picture thrown at her for her efforts. Mrs. Lockton begins shrieking, and Becky urges Isabel to run. Isabel attracts a lot of notice running from a white lady's house, where there's screaming happening. So when she goes to Colonel Reagan to beg for his help, Mrs. Lockton tracks her down right away. Reagan doesn't help, of course, because of course he doesn't. So Isabel is beaten, imprisoned, and tried as a runaway slave. She's sentenced with branding and gets the letter I burned into her face for insolence. She's left in the stocks to hallucinate her dead parents, 
And through this time, like Curzon looks after her and then eventually she wakes up in Lady Seymour's attic bedroom. Does this mean Isabel's caught a break? Nope. When she's better, Isabel has to go back to the Locktons. Mrs. Lockton won't address Isabel anymore and has Becky relay her orders even when they're all in the same room, which is the stupidest shit I've ever heard. Curzon comes around, but Isabel refuses to talk to him until Mrs. Lockton threatens to have him arrested. Isabel tells him to pound sand and he still tries to get her to spy for him. Dude, read the room. One day while getting water, Isabel listens to a debate amongst the uh, enslaved people that are there. They're debating which side is better, the British or the Americans. It sounds like Britain's the better option until it's pointed out that some enslaved Bostonians trusted the British promise of freedom and they all ended up enslaved in a Canadian mine. The old man who always sits by the water pump, who everyone calls grandfather, says the choice they all have to make isn't British or American. You must choose your own side, find your own road through the Valley of Darkness that will lead you to the River Jordan. He advises Isabel in particular to look for her River Jordan and assures her she'll find it. Chapter 21 begins, like, like I said, they all begin with quotes from documents and stuff, and it has, this is the one that, like, I hated the most. Because it was... Oh, good. I'm going to change the, the wording just a little bit, but it's, it says... One woman, 30 years old, with or without her son, five years old, price 60 or 80 pounds. And I just hate everything about that so, so much. It's like, it's like, I'm almost starting to tear up just thinking about that concept. It's so upsetting. How about that guy who tried to sue for for freedom? And that's when they made the decision that he was three-fifths of a person. How did you, how did you come to that? For, that's such a weird, oddly specific fraction right it's just i think animals had more rights at this time yeah this is just such a not happy episode uh and i didn't realize that branding was a something that actually happened i should have realized but i didn't oh yeah it was yeah uh, um yeah man i i actually i have a note in here saying that i was kind of bored by the book until ruth was sold which is very dark to say, because it's all miserable, but... Well, it was her Im- impetus that, to start acting. Yeah, and that, but that, that was yeah. the part that Isabel became more of, like, a realized that she, she started having the idea that, like, nobody is going to be helping me. My only option is to actually make things happen myself, which, like, you know, I'm, I don't yeah. blame her for taking a while to come to that conclusion, because look at her situation um it's just it's the point where she becomes far more active in her own story and so therefore it becomes more of an engaging story because of that right yeah uh they did have to set things up first and she is the way she is because she grew up very sheltered Mm -hmm. like she wasn't she was a slave but she was oh yeah okay owned by an elderly woman who you know it doesn't gonna have the strength right the circumstances she was exposed to were still different despite being enslaved regardless yeah we're like if you had to be maybe that's a better situation to be in than like the poor souls that are in charleston you know yeah i mean we're still talking about like you know which circle of hell you want to be in but exactly it's more like do you want to be like you can have i can gouge your eye out with the spoon or a fork which you want to go with and it's like (laughs) can we just not gouge my eye out no you're gonna get your eye gouged out yeah uh and if anybody is reading this book and wants to skip chapter 23, which is when she is branded, and just know that it happens because it's awful, like super yeah. extra awful. Um, if you want to not engage with that with your eyeballs, go ahead and skip 23. And like, this is only like, this is actually like the second account I've heard of someone getting branded. Like, I watched that documentary about, um, Nexium and, have you heard of Nexium? No. It was bullshit, like, life coach type program that was actually a cult. And the guy who ran it, Keith Ranieri, was a sex pest and he was disgusting and had, like, this, this woman's group within it that was, like, supposedly feminist, but they all branded themselves with his initials. But they were told it was like, no, it's some kind of symbol, but you look at it, you're like, it's clearly KR. Come on. But the woman described what it was like. And then reading, I was just like, I've now heard two different <laughs> descriptions of, of branding. And I, 
hate it. I hate it. That's two more than I ever wanted to engage with. It's two more than I ever wanted to know. Yeah. All right. But I, I thought that grandfather got it. I was just like, no, that's those aren't the sides you need to choose because yeah. you're going to be screwed no matter what. There's uh, there's an uncomfortable quote about slavery from Ben Franklin, just in case uh, you wanted a reminder that even the people that we try to remember fondly about that era still had some pretty despicable ideas. Yeah, I kind of want to snatch his little goofy glasses off and just crunch them under my heel right in front of him. <laughs> and why don't you write an almanac about that, bitch? And he's like, what? <laughs> why does this woman keep calling everyone bitch? <laughs> you can go ahead if Get you off want. our hundy. I thought there was, like, a movement to get, like, did they want Harriet Tubman on the hundy or on the 20? Uh, the 20. It, and it, I believe it's still, I think they have an official timeline of when they're debuting it. It was, it is on track by the end of the decade, and I don't know why that is. I don't know if they're also trying to develop additional, like, security measures on the bill or something, but. Um, oh, maybe. But yes. Uh, or maybe not. Biden accelerated it when he got into office. He was like, he was like, let's, you know, let's take this abstract idea and at least set a timeline for it. So, yeah, because, yeah, if we can get Jackson off of the money, that's a I'm OK with that. Oh, okay God, he was horrible. His, not looking yeah. at his dumb face. Uh, yeah. Old Hickory. More like old Dickory. Am I right? Ah! He had a giant cheese. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> that's like the only funny great thing that happened he was gifted with like this enormous wheel of cheese and then like the whole white house just stunk for forever because of the cheese and he was trying to gift it away to people to get rid of it just breaking off chunks of this big cheese oh god anyway back to this so um the british invade and nope this ain't the beatles or the stones lots of rebels have fled and there's a great upheaval so of course mrs lockton sends isabel out with a shopping list this woman cannot read a room. No one can read a room in this book. God. Okay. Isabel decides she'll join the British and they'll free her. So off she pops and meets Captain Campbell. At first he tells her to buzz off, but once she proves herself useful, telling the invading army where to find George Washington's headquarters, he's all ears. She explains, and while he's as sympathetic as a British white man in the 18th century can possibly be, he won't free her since she belongs to a loyalist citizen. And she just stands there like, are you serious? And he's like, I'm super serious. And she's just like, oh, no one will help me. So anyway, speak of the devil, um, Mr. Lockton is with the British, and he tells Isabel to let Mrs. Lockton know he'll be home when he's done drinking with his buddies. So with all the new soldiers in town, they need places to stay. The Locktons host a goodly amount of soldiers who have their wives with them to wait on them, but the harder jobs still go to Isabel. Because Becky's taken off, so it's it's just Isabel now. Lady Seymour needs help with the dozen Hessian soldiers in her house, so Lockton sends over Isabel, much to his wife's delight. Uh, she was not delighted. This is sarcasm. <laughs> Isabel still has to work hard, but she at least gets to eat regularly. So, yay for the bare minimum. Then the Great Fire of New York happens, and Isabel has to struggle to get Lady Seymour out of the house What with the old lady trying to... Leave with her belongings and then flat out having a stroke on the stairs. But they make it out and go to the Locktons. Lady Seymour is grateful for Isabel rescuing her most important possessions, which are a portrait and correspondence of her late husband. Um, one day, Isabel watches captured rebel soldiers coming in from Fort Washington that just got captured. Uh, they're being led into the prison and one of them is Curzon. The Locktons throw a big dinner celebrating this victory. Colonel Hawkins brags they have too many prisoners to look after properly, and they're running out of space for them in the prison, and that feeding them will cost a fortune, so they're just not going to feed them at all. Uh, hearing all this, Isabel gets an idea. She puts aside a bowl of table scraps in the garden and covers it with her apron for safekeeping. So, what did I want to... Oh, yeah, uh, when, when they said, like, oh, the soldiers are going to need places to stay, I'm like, ah, quartering. So I remember learning about that when we learned about the, um, yeah, there was like no quartering of troops. It's like, you mean like drawing and quartering? Like, no, they just can't live in your house. No, don't, don't put them on our coins. Yeah. Just, Did just you see that they redesigned, they redesigned George Washington on this year's quarter? 
They're always redesigning that quarter. No, I no, no. Like the front of it, the head. Is he? Oh, is he facing forward? He's no. He he's facing the other direction, and it's a new illustration of him. He has a thicker neck. But I so have they a, tried to make him hotter. I don't know. I have an old coworker who collects quarters, so when I'm when I'm looking at change and stuff, I'll set some aside for. Her. And one of the quarters for this year has uh, Doctor Sally Ride on the back of it, and on the front of it is a new portrait of Washington. It was very odd to see that part. I, I'm used to seeing the back being different, but the head's been the same for like a century almost. I guess I need to shake it up a little. I wouldn't mind him getting off the coins too. But <laughs> okay, what else did I want to? Oh, um, the Hessians. Those were like the um, mercenary, like German soldiers that um, England roped in to help. Yeah, I had to us. look up where a Hessian soldier would have been from because I was like, where is Hessia? Yeah. Yeah, Hessia. It's a German state. Yeah. Hessen. And, uh, fun fact, uh, the Headless Horseman was rumored to be a Hessian soldier who had his head removed by a cannonball. Oh, that's right. Yeah, Hessian soldier. And he was famously, famously played in the film Sleepy Hollow by, um, oh my god, I completely blanked on his name. There, okay, there's my fun fact. It's played by someone. Look it up. <laughs> Christopher Walken. More like Christopher Ryden. Yeah, because he's on a huggy. He's on a horsey. In my family, they're called huggies. Oh, okay. Had to quickly correct myself because I'm like, he's not going to know what I mean. You're going to be like, diapers? What are you? He's riding around in diapers. So he doesn't have to stop. So poor, poor Isabel's brain is all a jumble after the horribly traumatic branding and all of that. Um, and so she refers to it as having, like, bees in her brain pan, yeah. which sounds awful, but I also do really like the word brain pan. Yeah, I remember that being used in Firefly. Uh, I'm sure it was intentional. But one of the consequences of setting the story in New York is that it does kind of run the risk of sounding like a greatest hits compilation of things you vaguely remember learning about from the Revolutionary War. Um, uh-huh. Because... She sees George Washington parade through with his troops. She's there for the, the the fire. She hears about some guy who was sorry he could only die one time for his country. Um, yeah, and, I was like, oh, yeah, Nathan Hale. Yeah, and so I'm just, I'm reading through. I'm like, ah, okay, yeah, 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 that's, yep, the thing, the thing I learned. Uh-huh, yep, yep. Um, well, if they didn't mention it, you'd be like, well, shouldn't that have been news? <laughs> shouldn't they know about that? So, I mean, there's no winning. Yeah. How do you feel about Curzon? I feel real bad for him. He was this really idealistic guy who kind of just bought into the whole idea of like, yeah, it's going to be freedom for everybody. They're going to set up this country. It's it's going to like starting from scratch. And they said that it's like, going to be freedom for all. So we got it made. And I'm going to be freed for sure because my ma- my Bellingham told him like, yeah, you get your freedom if you fight in my place in the war. I'm too old to fight. So if you fight for me. I'll get you. You'll be freed. And like, yeah, he'll be freed when he's killed. Oh my god, I just realized. It's the Star Wars prequel meme where it's Anakin talking to whoever uh, in the in like the field and it's it's like <laughs> Oh, we're all going to be free. That includes enslaved people, right? That includes enslaved people, right? Oh, him him talking to Amidala? Yeah. Yeah, I know exactly. Yeah, that's what that mm-hmm. <laughs> Exactly. Yeah, he just made me wince a lot. I'm just like, oh, God, you're putting so much stock in this. And I know how it turns out. I'm from the year 2022. <laughs> it does not go well for you. I really wanted to wring the old lady's neck, like, the whole time. Yeah. When she's all like, help me with this. And she's pulling the heavy trunk. And Isabel's like, you just need to move. <laughs> Let's just get out. And then she's, like, on the stairs. And then I was like, this bitch is not having a freaking... Like, there's enough going on without you having a stroke, too. I'm yeah. like, just leave her. But she gets her out. Ugh. Yeah. I mean, it's in her own best interest to get out with the old lady, because if she didn't, they'd be all like, you didn't. You murdered her. Right. So, you murdered yeah. her. Not the fire raging through the entire town. Yeah. You personally. They would, though. I know. I know they would. <laughs> I know they would. Oh, this fucking book. All right. Go ahead. Okay. So, um, Isabel begins sneaking food to the prison. At first, she's allowed inside, though the guard 
first helps himself to the food. Dude, is this like old food that's table scraps that other people have chewed on and it's like sat out in a garden for three days and this idiot's like digging into it. And I was like, I'm pretty sure they fed the British soldiers. Why are you eating that? Like, I would have been like, oh, what's that? Okay, no, <laughs> go ahead and give it to them. I don't want it. <laughs> or maybe they weren't feeding the British soldiers. I don't know. But this war was very unpopular over in England. They're like, you're still doing that? Just leave. <laughs> you know, why yeah. are we paying for this? Anyway, so, yeah, she sees Curzon. He's been shot through the leg, but it went clean through and didn't shatter bones. So he says it's not that bad. It doesn't get gangrenous either. So he's really lucky, as lucky as he's capable of being. Right. Every positive thing we're going to say that, like, occurs to somebody is followed by so many asterisks. Yeah, I know. So um, Lady Seymour finds out about these trips. She finds out and uh, she becomes ill. And while Isabel's caring for her, Lady Seymour warns her to be careful about these trips since Mrs. Lockton won't like it. Uh, one day she sends Isabel out on a few chores, one of them being to a stationer. The guy there remembers seeing Isabel with Curzon and knows she's been helping feed the prisoners. He hints that he has rebel sympathies and gifts her with a book that could get her in trouble with the Locktons if they saw it. Isabel is so sick of white people's secrets. She's just like, okay, whatever. God, just let me go. <laughs> Quit talking to me. At the Lockton house, the soldier wives argue about having to get the water first thing in the morning. So Isabel volunteers as tribute so she can visit the prison easier and more often because she has an excuse to be out. She doesn't need to be like sneaking around. The prison isn't letting anyone inside anymore. So Isabel has to pass food through the window. The other prisoners aren't treating Curzon well. And one of the men, um, God, I always had to look at his name a couple times. Dibden promises that that will change if Isabel gets word to their superior, Captain Morse, about their conditions. Oh, I should, I, I didn't write it in my notes, but like, all like the rat, the, just the dudes who fought, mm-hmm. they're all put in the prison, but everyone who was an officer just gets put up at an inn. And right. they, I don't know how much they could roam around, but they're, they're not in these horrible conditions because they're gentlemen. Yeah. I hated everyone for that. So the captain has connections to money that can buy the men doctor visits. <laughs> oh, you're you're starving and you're cold and freezing here. Let me bleed you first. <laughs> <laughs> what why did that seem valid? Did anyone ever actually get Let better? me balance your humors? Balance your humors. This bullshit they just made up that's based on nothing. Oh my god. Oh, this stinky air will make you sick. No, it won't. You're so stupid. Uh, okay. I need to quit giggling about it. Because this book is not giggly. <laughs> <laughs> so, Isabel agrees to go get the captain, but first she makes sure that Curzon is given a blanket and his hat is returned to him, because he's known for like wearing his, I never mentioned it, but he's known for wearing this like jaunty red hat, and some other asshole was wearing it, and she's like, give back. God, he's freezing. Anyway, so she warns Dipshit that he'll get diddly from her if Kurt, I purpose, purposely wrote Dipshit because his name's stupid, but she warns him that he's not, he'll, he'll get diddly from her if Curzon dies, and he considers this fair. So that's Isabel's life for a while, trucking over to the prison and then the inn to see the captain while still getting water and doing all of her chores at the Locktons. Christmas comes and Lady Seymour gifts Isabel with a pair of shoes. Mrs. Lockton gifts her with the news that she knows about the prison visits, though Lady Seymour claims that it's done on her behalf as an act of charity. And those visits are going to stop now. She concludes with a vague threat that Isabel should fear the day Mr. Lockton and Lady Seymour leave the house. Merry Christmas! Isabel's upset and goes out walking for her one free day. She decides that she's not going to fear what Mrs. Lockton can do to her body because she can never break her spirit unless Isabel lets her. And then uh, while out running errands another day with one of the soldier wives, Isabel runs into Captain Morse, who insists she come to see him at the inn. She agrees so he'll shut up and not get her in trouble. Have some subtlety, man. Isabel deliberately spills water so she can go get some more of the pump. Uh, she goes to Captain Morse, who has big news to pass on. General Washington kicked major ass in Trenton and took 900 enemy soldiers prisoner. He's written the news and baked it into bread because the men will only believe it if they see his signature. 
So Isabel delivers the bread, and seconds after she's walked away, the whole place is cheering. Mr. Lockton returns to yeah, the whole prison clapped. Mr. Lockton returns to England to report to Parliament or some shit, and Isabel continues to sneak food to the prisoners. The first British soldier she encountered at the prison, you know, who ate her food, Caesar, and tells her that they'd love to hire her out to clean up the prison cells. Oh, and if she brings cake, he'll look after Curzon special. But she knows, like, Mrs. Logan's not going to agree to that. Mm -hmm. Uh, Later, while looking after Lady Seymour, the old lady confesses to Isabel that she tried to buy her when she saw how badly Mrs. Lockton treated her. She expects to be thanked for this confession, and if this isn't prime white people bullshit, I don't know what is. Absolutely. I know, just like, I'm a good person. Like, uh uh-huh. Because, again, you're you're taking this situation and centering it on you. Yeah, so I guess we were supposed to like Lady Seymour. I didn't, but like right. No, she she, really like she was the one one of the ones that I read as like there's the implication that she's one of the quote unquote better ones. And I I did but star with... the Isabel's uh, narration right after Lady Seymour says like I wish I had purchased you, and it says uh, it would have eased her mind. If I thanked her for wanting to buy me away from Madam, I tried to be grateful, but could not. A body does not like being bought and sold like a basket of eggs, even if the person who cracks the shells is kind. Thank yeah. you. Yeah, I, I thought that was perfect. I was just like, thank you for acknowledging. Because a lot of these like ch- stories for children, they do like set it out as like, this is the nice white person who doesn't beat their slaves. It's like, but he still owns slaves. Did you ever see 12 Years a Slave, that movie? No, I have not. Um, there's a scene where the main character, I'm sorry, I can't remember everyone's name because I saw this movie like 12 back years when ago. it first was released. Yeah, a long time ago. So um, he's sitting there and uh, he he had not grown up in slave. He gets captured and they're like, okay, your name is, is Platt now. And he's like, that's not my name. And they're like, well, it is now. So they just kidnap him because he'd been a free man. And so um, he's talking to, like, a woman who's been, like, a slave, like, her whole life. And he's just, like, talking about Benedict Cumberbatch, who's, like, the master of the plantation they were on. Mm-hmm. And he's like, oh, yeah, Mr. Benedict Cumberbatch is a good man. And the other woman keeps going, but he owns slaves. You know, just keeps reiterating it. It's like, no, he's not a good person. Yeah. Because he's still buying into this whole system. Yeah. I had a similar feeling when uh, Isabel's at the prison she brings them the food and then they pass it around and when it comes all the way back around they're still food because they're good men they each took his portion without stealing from the next and it's like oh they're the they're the good guys and i'm like yeah but they're still gonna uphold slavery for another few decades so like i'm not exactly going to be clapping at them for being able to share a bowl of food yeah there's also a comment about, I've never seen a house decorated with tree branches to celebrate the birth of baby Jesus, and I wrote, just wait. <laughs> I know, right? <laughs> yeah, that becomes more uh, widespread. Uh, didn't they do that because, like, the Hessians were there? Because that's a German custom to have that in there, and, and that didn't become more widespread until Queen Victoria came to power. I almost said it was president. Like, yeah, you remember when president Queen, Victoria Queen Victoria was president? <laughs> <laughs> Good old President Queen. <laughs> President Queen Victoria. Yeah, Queen Victoria made that, brought that to English-speaking countries, I guess. Okay. I'll defer to you for that, because I have no idea, so. Well, because she wasn't, like, she wasn't English. She, was she one of the Habsburgs or something? Bonus facts for those of you who don't care. <laughs> Everybody, this is the last section. Yeah. I, I have a few notes for the Unless last section, anything but I'm, I'm good for now, so. Okay. okay. I forgot I started it this way. Um, okay, now I feel bad for shit-talking Lady Seymour because she had a second stroke and is completely paralyzed. Her mind is still sharp enough to know what's going on around her, so she cries in embarrassment at having to be helped with uh, the bathroom. That is pretty bad. So uh, one day Captain Morse has Isabel take a penny to his buddy Captain Farrar in order to pay off a bet. Sure. Of course, while she's there, he gives her a note for Morse. These assholes think they're so fucking slick. <laughs> Unfortunately, one of Mrs. Lockton's gossipy friends saw this happen, so when Isabel gets home, she's whipped with a writing crop and ordered to hand over the note. Isabel hands the note over into the fire. 
Mrs. Lockton flies into a rage and says she'll sell Isabel and her sister, too. Needle scratch. What? The physician from Nevis' story was BS, and Ruth has been at the Lockton's Charleston plantation this whole time. Mrs. Lockton has Isabel locked in the potato bin down in the basement, and everyone prepares for a ball celebrating Queen Charlotte's birthday. Isabel kicks out some rotten boards in order to escape. She goes upstairs and breaks into Colonel Hawkins' desk to write a pass for herself, taking the name Isabel Gardner. She takes a map and consults a tide chart to make sure she can safely escape the island by boat. She packs up her meager belongings and takes some of Lady Seymour's money with the old lady's blessing. Then she takes off. But she remembers Curzon looking after her when she was in the stocks, so she goes back to the prison. She tells the guard, Fisher, that Mrs. Lockton sent her to clean like he suggested. All the higher-ups are at the ball, so he can't confirm the story, but he lets her in anyway, especially since she gives him snacky snacks. She gets a wheelbarrow and shovels out poop and puke for a while before checking on Curzon. He's unconscious, but she announces he's dead and loads him into the wheelbarrow and rolls him out past the guard and down to the docks. They really should have gotten caught, but a fireworks display gives them cover and they're able to steal a rowboat. Isabel rows all night, blistering and bloodying her hands, and by morning she's the only person ever to be excited to be in New Jersey. The story <laughs> ends with Curzon waking up and Isabel asking if he can walk. We'll find out the answer to her question in the sequel, Forge, should we choose to read it. The end. <laughs> I knew as soon as she was marked with the eye that she was going to like reclaim it as for Isabel. Isabel. Yeah, um, I was like, why did they pick that one? That's her name. Okay. <laughs> <sighs> and plus, she's kind of like reclaiming it in her mind because like her father had scarring on his cheeks because that's what they did in Guinea to like, yeah. I think it was like a mark of manhood or something. Yeah. I can't remember exactly. But she's like, I kind of have a mark there like my dad did. And I for Isabel, so I, I can make this work. Yeah, I don't really plan to read Forge. Nah, I'm good. Because, like, here's the thing, right? It's it's a trilogy. Forge is the next one, and Ashes is the third one. What's going to happen at the end? Are they probably still going to be slaves or at risk of being captured and then taken back into slavery? Because unless they teleport or time travel... Or time travel... I was like, is there, was there anywhere they could have gone at this time period? And I don't know. Did France have slavery? Would they have been okay in France? Oh, uh -huh, I don't know. Well, <laughs> that was like a lot of like well-to-do black people in like the 1920s and stuff moved to France because they were treated better there oh, right, than yeah. over here. So I don't know if that's kind of always been the case or what. Yeah, I'm not sure. But yeah, it's yeah. just, it's, 300 pages of bummers, mostly, so. Well, I mean, we probably should have known that going into it, but I wasn't thinking. I just, I was just thinking, like, hey, American history, and it's July. Yay. I was just like, if you throw me a title, then I don't have to think of one myself, so it sounds good to me. But we needed, we needed to, do, we hadn't done historical fiction yet. I mean, not to this degree. Wolf, and Wolf Hollow is like, Oh, yeah. You know, like, at, what, at what point, like, right, like, at what point does it become historical fiction? And I would argue that we are definitely a historical fiction now, but I don't know if you consider, like, less than a hundred years ago. I, was, you know. 1940s, I think that counts. Yeah. Wait, it wasn't 40s yet, it was 30s, wasn't it? It was between wars. It was between, yeah. Yeah, so, I was wondering what I would rate this, because I wasn't bored by it, but I didn't like it. But I think I'd give it just a low three, because I'm like, it's fine, like, it wasn't, I wasn't like, this is badly written. It's not badly written. It's very much not the sort of book I'm interested in reading. Even if it was not dealing with the atrocities of slavery, just anything in this era, unless you're exactly like on a pirate ship, is not going to be very engaging to me, so. I think I would have rather seen this written by a black author. Oh yeah, yeah. That's mostly how I feel. I think she was, did as well. It could have been cringier and worse, but I feel like she did a lot of research. Yeah. And probably had sensitivity readers. May I, I don't know, but maybe she did that to um, try to take some of like the white bias away, which that's not a, a knock on her. We can't help having that. We've, right. We are who we are. Right. If the story's about black pain, that's not our lived experience. And I don't think we have a right to write it. it, it, it it's hard because, yeah, you, you aren't not allowed to write about things but 
you have to be aware of the perspective that you are coming at it from as a writer before you even figure out, like, the perspective of the story you're writing, and you need to be very aware of all of those things. And you all, like, it's, it is important to know when to say, when to step aside and be like, you know what, I think someone else with a more direct connection to this probably has more to say mm-hmm. than I do. Yeah. When I was a kid, I read a lot of the American Girl books. Uh-huh. And I I really liked the uh, Addie books, but she was a girl who'd been raised in slavery, and she escapes it. Uh, and that was written by a black author. They got a black author for that to write that character. So those books don't come across as, like, speaking down to you, and I don't really know what I'm trying to say. But it just feels more authentic than if they'd just thrown it at one of the white writers who wrote, like, for Kirsten and Samantha, right. you know? Especially in, like, a franchise like that, because they would have not not just been yes. thrown it, but it would have been, like, also you have three months to turn it around. Totally, yeah. <laughs> and you're so not going to get something be... very sensitive in three months. <laughs> no, I was just about to say that. Like, it wouldn't have been sensitive, like, at all. But it was by, like, having some, like, this is part of my heritage as an American in this country. So I'm going to write from that perspective. And it came across in the writing. And I I really like those books when I was when I was a kid. And I think they probably still hold up. I haven't read any of the American Girl books yeah. since I was since I was like 11. But yeah, I, I kind of feel like some people kind of need to. Um, there was this thing that Craig Ferguson, the comedian, said that um, he's he, he noticed that he kept getting in trouble for things he, he would say that he started asking himself three questions. Does this need to be said? Does this need to be said by me? And does does this need to be said by me right now? Interesting. That's a good way to to think about things. Mm -hmm. Particularly in discussions of like race like this, because white people just center themselves in every discussion. You know, as a white person, if you find yourself typing that, erase it, stop, do not send tweet, just you don't, Take, to take a moment, <laughs> think about, yeah, exactly. Ask yourself the three questions. Yeah. And ask yourself, then it go outside. <laughs> and then go outside and touch grass, right? Yeah. So yeah. I feel like this, like this premise and stuff could have been interesting or as interesting as it can be considering you and I don't care about this era, like at all. But uh, it could have been more interesting had it been approached by someone who has more of a lived experience and this is their heritage. I keep waving my hand waiting for the words to come and they're not right. coming. One of my favorite authors when I was younger was um uh Mildred D. Taylor because we read Roll of Thunder Hear My Cry oh, yes. in class and then Roll I went Thunder, on Hear My Cry. I went on and read uh she wrote like four or five books about that family including one that went back to when they were sharecroppers. Yeah. Yeah. Cuz yeah. I, I think they hinted at the, that the, hinted but uh, it was like mentioned. The the land was the name of that one. I think that was probably my favorite one in the series. So I really nice. enjoyed her when I, I was younger. So I didn't read the other books, but I did read Roll of Thunder and I did like it. Mm-hmm. So um, I'd suggest if you want, like, don't read this book and read Mildred Taylor instead. So I think three stars is fair. Not not our jam. It was honestly, it was probably one of the last books written like this before there was a bigger movement to for, people for tell own voices. Their, their own. Yeah. Tell their own stories and their own family stories and their own culture stories because this was like 2008 yeah. oh yeah that was a bit before that she probably would have been pat on the back for writing this at that time and i don't mean to sound so mean because like i liked uh her other books yeah and, and, and i don't i don't think she wrote this in bad faith like at all no i think she's a good author and you should and speak is uh is a good book and i read uh fever 1793 and that was good and i think so. that i think that to a degree we can sometimes forget that we are using like 2022 standards for things yeah you know i think that's some, something everybody is guilty of from time to time is not recognizing that like a lot of things have become aged badly. huh it said aged badly i mean a lot of things have aged badly, but a lot of things have been brought to a wider level of attention in a very short period of time so like problems that had existed for a while weren't talked about and brought to a larger platform uh until a lot more recently than sometimes we realize yeah and so it's it it is it is important to keep that in mind to a degree like you know that's not going to explain away every problem but there is also a certain level of okay but like this wasn't as well established as something that we were working against or or things like that so 
perspective is challenging. Right. Yeah, I think that's why I'm not being as harsh as I could be. Yeah. As harsh as some of those one-star reviews were that I saw on Goodreads. Yeah. I did purposely look. I was like, okay, is there anyone not white in any of these? And uh, one of the not white reviews I saw gave it like four stars. And they're like, yeah, okay, this was this was good. It was like, I think it, I think it was four, but I I think that the review written itself was a little lukewarm. Yeah. So I think someone uses the rating system a little bit differently than you or I do. Right. But, yeah. I just noticed it was very telling when I saw everyone looking a certain way and reviewing it. Though there were some white people who were like, one star, what the hell was this? <laughs> <laughs> well, one person was like, she was too free. She was too free. And I'm like, what did they mean by that? But then I read the book and I was like, she was just walking up and talking to people out of turn like all the time. And I was just, you know, that I was kind of like, mm, I think she'd know, like, keep your head down. Don't don't make eye contact with these people who just fly off the handle for like any reason. And you were like have looking any for a reason to do. punish you. Yeah, precisely. Because she's like the safest person to lash out at. Yeah. Which is why I think that woman, uh, the uh, Mrs. Lockton was always. Because she had an abusive husband. Where else was she going right. to throw it, you know? Yeah, just send it down the line. Yeah, poop rolls downhill. Um, <laughs> yeah, so that was Chains. That was Chains. Next month, we're going to be reading Long Lankin by Lindsay Barraclaw. And uh, this one's going to be a spooky one. So I'm hoping I'm hoping it's yeah, fun. it's going to get... <laughs> It's going to get spoopy up in here for quite a few months, oh, yeah. so get used to it. Just, yeah. <laughs> Put on your spoop hats and leave them on until Christmas. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, so we're going to be getting into our spooky season next month, and we hope that you enjoy that and don't get too tired of it, because it's going to be all coming down the pipe for a bit. Probably not. I mean... We could probably just turn this into like a child horror podcast, and I think we probably would gain more listeners. <laughs> All right. Hello, Fellow Kids is hosted by Mara and Josh, produced by Josh. Music provided by Ben Ash. You can visit him at benash.com. You can email us at hfkpodcast at gmail.com. We are also on Twitter and Instagram at hfkpodcast. And we will talk to y'all next month with Long Lankin. Bye. Bye.